You're listening to sermons from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church, please visit our website at gcceugene.org. Well, good morning. My name is Ronnie. For those of you that don't know, I'm, I'm one of the elders, uh, one of the pastors here at Gospel Community Church. And uh, as, as Ian mentioned earlier, we're doing a sermon series on friendship. And as a way of introduction, kind of into the sermon and just the series in general, I'd like to tell you a little bit more about myself than I normally do, uh, especially if you're new to GCC or a guest, considering the fact that we're talking about friendship, this little two-part mini-series. I'm tackling part one this week looking at John 15, 15, and then Jake will be taking next week looking at 1 Samuel. Um, I don't normally, when I get up here and do an introduction, I don't normally say much about myself other than um, my role here at GCC and my name, but I thought at least one aspect of, of who I am would be relevant to what we do here at Gospel Community Church and uh, what we're talking about today particularly. So one of the things you'll learn about me if you get to know me is that I am a huge skeptic. For those of you that even know my spiritual background growing up, I, I was not a part of the Christian faith. Uh, my dad was like an incredibly nominal Roman Catholic. We went to church like one time, but I was pretty much atheist, agnostic. I thought it was all kind of um, a bunch of fooey or BS, whatever you want to put in there. Uh, for some of you that do know me, it can be rather annoying. I'm sorry for my, my poor wife. Um, but I thank those of you that are sitting here that have been patient enough to get to know me as I've kind of felt you out as a person and over time kind of opened up a little bit. So it's really funny, even as a kid, I had a strong distrust against any kind of authority figures. So that meant like police officers, teachers, um, as I got older, bosses, and especially religious leaders. And to this day, I still struggle to trust pretty much anybody in any kind of uh, position of authority. You know, I'm not, I'm not paranoid or anything. I just simply have a strong lack of trust in people and institutions made up of people, you know, uh, except for the government. You know, I absolutely trust them and the great people over at the NSA. I, I, I believe what they're doing is good things. I trust them. So all jokes aside, I say that to say two things. One, some of the core values here at Gospel Community Church are gospel centrality, mission, community, transparency, and joy. And other than gospel transparency, and I think that also kind of influences this other core value, one of my favorite core values of this church is transparency. And, I, you know, before, before I was saved, I always thought that those who got up and preached from a pulpit were absolutely full of it, and they're just trying to scare the people sitting in the pews into giving them money to keep them out of hell. And uh, that, that theory isn't without any merit at all as I've, as I've taken church history classes at seminary and uh, now I'm almost towards the end of my degree, you know, that was a little bit of the reason why Christianity split from Roman Catholicism. They were selling indulgences and I don't know what many people think about why that happened in the 16th century, but it, it started because of the Catholic church basically selling your way into heaven or even your family members, you could buy their way into heaven or out of purgatory at least. And so that actually sparked the split between Roman Catholicism and Christianity. So my fears weren't without merit. But I love transparency. I love the transparency that the leaders of this church are, are striving to lead out of. And uh, it comes from a confidence in Christ, a confidence in his sufficient covering that we're able to be open and honest about our failures and what we struggle with as broken people. And, and I got to be honest, I wish I saw more of that out in the world in general. Uh, it's so refreshing to see openness and honesty in a world full of lies 
and, and cover-ups and secrets. So that's number one. That's the first reason why I kind of bring that up is because I, I love GCC for its transparency and and that its leaders seek to live out. Even in our community group, the one thing I love about DJ's community group, when the men and the women kind of split for our prayer time and, and some of the people that are in that group, they know exactly what I'm talking about. When we sit down and we share like, hey, what? how can we be praying for one another? You know, DJ is very serious about this. He's like, be serious. Like, tell me what's going on. Don't don't give me these simple surface sins to try and save face. But what is really going on in your heart? What are the heart sins that I can be praying that Jesus would transform and change your life for? And, and I love that we're able to come and pour our souls out before other men and they can really go to the Lord for us in prayer. And so I appreciate that. And I thank you for that, DJ. The second reason I bring that up is because my time with Rick as a friend, which has been almost 10 years now, collided with my radical skepticism earlier this week in a moment of friendship that was rather, it was pretty funny. We had the Acts 29 Regional Conference earlier this week up in Salem, and it was a one-day event, but we kind of went up beforehand because there was, there was someone's birthday that we're, we were celebrating the night before, but me and DJ, we get back to the hotel in our room, and we're, we're it's kind of early, we're wondering, are we closing it in? Are we gonna meet with Rick and kind of hang out a little bit before we go to bed? And so I text Rick, and he goes, yeah, come down to room 423. And so we're in room 500, we go down to 423, and it's right off the elevator, and right as DJ goes to knock, I go, hold on a second. We are here, open the door. And I didn't trust that Rick had given us the correct number for the hotel room. <laughs> And it's a good thing because a couple seconds later, I see his head pop out of a room far down the hall and he's sitting there giggling to himself because he thought, he thought he fooled us or whatever. And I was like, I knew it. I knew you gave us the wrong number. And he's like, well, the others don't know yet. So hurry up and come down here. So poor Zach and Brad, I don't know how many doors you guys, three doors before they found the right one. So sorry about that. <laughs> that that's a little bit of my personality, very skeptical. And Rick was laughing all night about how I don't trust him. So we got to the room, we finally um, had a great time together, full of plenty of joking and laughing. I'm not a very social person. I'm not very uh, introvert or extroverted, I'm sorry. But I've had a lot of friends over the years. And I still even have someone that I'd consider my best friend. I've known him since middle school. We were next door neighbors and a little bit more on him later. But just talking about friendship and saying this is what we're gonna be diving into over the next couple weeks, that can bring up a lot of different feelings for a lot of different people. It's funny, my oldest is starting to really get into this whole idea of, of friendship, and uh, she's six now, but like she's excited to go to church because she's going to see her friends. She's like, are we going to see our friends? Or uh, she just recently started watching My Little Pony, and she's been singing about friendship at the top of her lungs the last couple days. Uh, she was in the bath the other night. I hear her down the hall just singing about, we're going to do it together. And, uh. Another interesting thing, COVID's kind of impacted our social relationships in a way that many of us may not notice. You know, it, it was a big part of the world. When we would go to our place of employment, we were around people all day. And, and COVID kind of radically changed that. And even some of us are still working from home, maybe. And it's interesting because I see posts on social media of people saying, like, they, they'll go and they, they'll attend these social, these social gatherings for, like, maybe an hour or two. And they're, they'll come back home and they're like, I'm, I'm completely drained. I need, like, to go take a nap or something because it was just too much. And it's interesting how that's kind of changed the way we interact with one another. It making maybe friendships a little bit more complicated. And for all the, the mothers and fathers in the room, friendships are, are really difficult to engage in. And I, I think, uh, Kyle, <laughs> this text thread that we've been on, man, with Adam and, and, and John, we've been trying to set up a meeting between like the four of us with Adam as well to, uh, to meet and, and just hang out for like an hour. And it's so funny. I wish I could pull up the text thread and you guys can just see us trying to align all our schedules together so we can just meet for an hour and, and hang out. For dads, it's 
you even made a joke about how complicated it is to come and meet together and hang out. You know, some of you, as we're talking about friendships, you might think of experiences you've had with friendships and things you've done together. Maybe funny stories and an uncontrollable smile might be breaking over your face as you think of interesting situations you've gotten into with your friends. But some of us may be thinking of how we've been hurt by friends, deeply hurt. Maybe we've been betrayed. Some of us might have been, might even be thinking as we talk about friendship, you might be thinking, you know, I can't even think of anybody that I could call my friend right now in this time in my life. You might feel alone. And I want you to know that as we look at John 15, 15, that that's, that's an okay place to be. As we look at the relationship we now have in Christ and how that influences how we relate to one another, those are all okay places to be as we examine this. So when, as I say, John 15, 15, I hope you begin to make your way there in your Bibles. And an interesting development that I, I've realized in my own interaction with the sermon and kind of like an encouragement to all of you, I, ever since I've been attending GCC, I've always had a baby in, in my hand during the worship service until uh, post-COVID. And there was that two-year period where sometimes we were meeting in person, sometimes we weren't. And uh, I realized I kind of lost that. I was always taking notes. But now that I have these babies, I didn't have room for a notepad and a pen. And it's only recently that I realized, like, why, why did I stop doing that? And, and now I'm starting to do it again. So uh, I would encourage you, if you take notes on your phone or if, or if you have a notepad, that's a great thing. If you don't do that, I would encourage you to start doing those things. Start grabbing a notepad and, and come expecting to hear from God as you enter into the worship service. I can't remember what theologian it was now, but one of them says he always goes into prayer with a pen in his hand because he's expecting to hear from God. And to go into something like that is is. Uh, without ready to receive and write down what God may be speaking to you, whether through the sermon or through prayer or through reading your Bible. Uh, he said it's kind of a missed opportunity to not go in, maybe with questions for even some of you that are looking forward to going and attending gospel community groups as they're starting up again. This is a great way to engage with the people in your gospel community group as you gather different uh, ideas or concepts that are expressed in the sermon or different questions you may even have of things that might be set up here and you haven't had the time to Explore those with somebody afterwards. So I would encourage you to take notes. And if you don't mind, for those of you that are note takers, Ty Neal, who's a pastor down in Las Vegas, he did this one time at the men's retreat. And I hope you guys don't mind if I do that now here with you, you all. But if you're a note taker, could you write down a name for me? And it's the name Rico, R-I-C-O. This, this is the best friend that I was talking about earlier. Known him since middle school. We literally lived right next door to each other. We actually went and saw him recently. We, we, uh, me and my wife went down to Vegas and we actually stayed at his place. And uh, I honestly have no clue why my wife went down there. I was just excited to see my friend. But he let us stay with him, so I was, I was hanging out with him again. And I've had go gospel conversations with him before that haven't yet borne fruit, but it would mean a lot to me if I knew that other people were also praying for him. I, I hope that's okay to ask. Yeah? If you guys just... His real name is Renikali, but we always call him Rico. It's just a little easier to remember. So, All right, let's look at John 15, 15. I'm not sure if it's up because we switched. Jake was going to be today, but I switched with him. So I don't know if it's actually up there, but I'll read it to you now. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, there are Bibles in the back of the room you can grab. In John 15, 15, Jesus says to his disciples, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time that we get to come together and open your word and see what it has to say about friendships. And we thank you that this is how you have decided to relate to us, that you are, you are a transcendent God, you are above all, and, and you created everything in existence, but you are also imminent. You've entered into your creation. You've decided and determined to be friends with your people, and you've provided a means for that relationship to be restored. 
That relationship that was severed in the fall, you had a plan from the beginning to draw us back into relationship with you. And and we thank you for that. And and we pray that you would change and transform us through our relationship with you and that it would impact the way we relate to one another in our friendships, uh, in in our marriages, in our parenting. I pray that all that we do would be uh, a reflection of your beauty as we seek to love one another as you've loved us. God, and I pray that as we look at this passage, uh, it, it would change the way we see our relationship with you. Uh, that we would experience uh, great joy and great peace over the fact that you do call us friends. We love you, God. We give you this time. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this verse, just to provide a little context so we're not just jumping into the middle of this passage, this verse comes on the heel of a, of a larger passage where in which Jesus is he's explaining in detail to his disciples a little bit of a change in relationship they now have with the Father, with Jesus, and his commandments even. The way they're going to live now has been significantly impacted by this change in relationship. And he charges them in verse 12 to love one another. A little bit of kind of a springboard off of what is said earlier about obeying the commands of God. We used to have this old relationship with the law where it was a, maybe it was burdensome or even something we didn't care about it all. It was just a thing out there, or maybe even we were hostile to the law of God, but because of this change in relationship, it's not that we necessarily obey the law perfectly, but we have a different relationship with it. We seek to obey the commands of God. It's something we actually desire now. And and whether you're incredibly familiar with the Bible or not, you've definitely probably heard John 15, 13. When I was in the military, there was one guy in particular, he used this verse as his signature on his email. And honestly, I don't know if there was anything Christian about this guy other than that one thing, was just that this was in his email. It's a very popular verse in the military. John 15, 13, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Obviously, you can see the, the connection there with the military, as the highest honor is usually given for those who do lay down their lives for other people. The Medal of Honor is usually given to people even post them having died on the battlefield for maybe some kind of courageous action that led to them saving the lives of their friends. So you can even see, and not just in the military, but even pop culture at large, sometimes this verse appears and you can see the connection. I think all of us would like a friend like this, or even to be the friend that would lay down their life. You would love if there was someone that you knew in your life that you loved enough that you would be willing to die for them. I think All of us, if we're being honest, we would like a relationship with us. Some of us may have that, but I think it's something we desire. Then Jesus says, and verse 13 is, that's important as we move on from here. Jesus says that if you do what he commands, then you're his friend. And then we come to verse 15, the one we're looking at here today. And he uses the word, uh, no longer do I call you servant, which is a, a fitting translation of that Greek word doulos. It fits because this is what Jesus even, it's interesting that he says, you're no longer my servants because this is what Paul even says that Jesus came and took the form of a servant when he came to earth. That was part of his purpose was to serve humanity. Paul himself even calls himself a servant of Christ. And so you can see how in the the context of what's going on, this word works. And you got to remember when he says uh, servant, these aren't people that were paid to follow Jesus around. These men were there voluntarily. Now, we know that there was some kind of support over the ministry because we see that Judas was in charge of the money bag. So there were people funding them and, and what they were doing as they were going around. People were giving to their mission as Jesus was spreading the gospel of the kingdom of God. But these men came and followed Jesus without any promise of, of any kind of riches or rewards. And if you even remember the reaction of how it went down, it was really interesting. Back in Matthew 4, 18 through 22, we see Jesus comes into contact with Andrew and Peter. They're fishing, and he's like, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And they basically drop what they're doing, and they follow him. 
And we even see some of the other disciples. This is the same call and reaction. They just kind of drop what they're doing and follow him. And, it, and, and that always makes me wonder a little bit. And it's not just that verse. There's other passages as well that make me wonder about the charisma of Christ too. I don't know if you're familiar with the word charisma or what that means, but I, I believe that Jesus was a very, maybe a very likable guy. The fact that they're just going to drop what they're doing and come with him. And, and we may have this perception of Jesus, especially because of it, uh, he, he started Christianity and Christianity is this big religion. And, and sometimes we may see Jesus through the lens of other people, but you got to remember like Jesus was invited to parties. If you look at the wedding in Cana, like Jesus was invited to a party. You look at Zacchaeus, like this man climbed a tree just to be able to see Jesus. He didn't even know if he'd be able to interact with him and utterly shocked when Jesus is like, hey, I'm coming to your house tonight and I'm going to hang out with you. And so it, it makes me wonder what kind of man Jesus was. Not, not to put this image in your head, but I almost think of someone like Chris Hemsworth. And I don't know if you guys, most of you know who he was. He's very popular for his role in Thor. But the guy, if you know anything about him and you've seen him in interviews outside of his role as Thor, that guy just oozes charisma. I don't know if I've ever seen anybody with more charisma than him. I would die for Chris Hemsworth. I'm just saying like, I never even talked to the guy before, and I'm just immediately drawn into him. You're in a room with the guy, and he makes you feel better about him yourself and like just really builds people up. And I've seen people try to make jokes against him, and he just flips it on you, and you're like, wow, I really love this guy. It's crazy. And I, and I wonder what it was like to hang out with Jesus. I, I don't know. I, it, it must have been radically different from hanging out than these incredibly pious Pharisees that thought that they were better than everybody, and they would pray in public to see, look how religious I am. Look how special and important. I mean, it, we know that Jesus was a perfect man without sin, and yet when you were in his presence, you probably didn't get the sense that he was better than you. I mean, he, he literally steps down and he washes the disciples' feet. Think about how disgusting feet were back then. A way different, I mean, feet are already disgusting in our own time. But you got to think back then, they were walking on dirt and animal feces and all these kinds of things. And here's this guy who's invited to parties who just says, hey, come follow me. And they're like, yes. And, and, and now he's stepping down and washing their feet and he's serving them. It makes me wonder, like, we're able to experience Jesus in the Gospels, but man, what would it have been like to really experience him? I look forward to that one day. Still, when he says servant, this does denote a position of hierarchy. And for those of us have, that have been employed by anybody, we know that there is a, we kind of know our place when we go to work. Our relationship to our bosses, to our employers, to the business owners and stuff like this, managers. And they don't often invite the lowest man or woman on the totem pole into all the decision-making and what's going on at the top level of the business. But here we see this radical shift in relationship between the king of all creation and a bunch of rough around the edge sinners. He says, I no longer call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing. Now there's a, a different relationship in what's going on here. So remember, Jesus spoke in all different kinds of parables to different people. And sometimes they didn't understand that, but the disciples kind of had this in, this know, where he would sometimes explain and expound upon the parables and tell them the true meaning behind it. With any friend group, there, there's sometimes there's inside jokes or inside things that happen that, that maybe outsiders aren't privy to. If I was to stand up here and say that Zach is a one, nobody would understand that joke. But DJ is giggling to himself right now because he was there and even Hunter's giggling a little bit because they were there for a little bit of the joke. Now, other people that are friends might be invited in on that, but there may be outside, people outside of that friendship that don't care to know, aren't interested to know, and will never know because they're not a part of that relationship. But there are things about the father that Jesus is now revealing to his friends that he has invited into relationship with them. They're part of the inner circle. They're part of what's going on now. This is a situation with Jesus and his friends. He's given them this great news 
of the kingdom of God and how God is going to save the world by giving his son, and now they're privy to God's plan. They're in the know. They're part of God's, God's circle of friends. Look again at verse 15. I have called you friends. So Jesus is the one. He's giving this designator friend. And think of the significance of this. Jesus is calling them friend. Remember, look back at verse 13. This is pre-crucifixion. This is incredibly prophetic. He says in verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Oh, by the way, you are my friends in verse 15. Now remember from our perspective, we're looking back. We see the obvious line from this verse driven straight to the cross. But for them, the cross hasn't happened yet. They probably don't understand the full significance of what Jesus is now telling them here. And it's, it's, it's incredible. You're the very people that I've come to die for. And, and this word friend in the Greek, I think, is also incredibly important because friend can have a lot of different meanings even in English. We can think of acquaintances or, or people. Sometimes friend is like a loose term, especially with social media. And, and with, you know, if I said MySpace, I don't even know if anybody knows what I'm talking about. But you had friends. You had like your top eight or something like that. And even on Facebook, you send a friend request. And so friend can kind of be a loose term nowadays. But this, this term friend in Jesus' day, philos, we, we see it come up. You guys are familiar with that word, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, philosophy. This is the love of wisdom. So when he uses this term friend, it's a little bit more endearing. It's a little bit more of a deep and abiding friendship. There's love happening here between friends. He doesn't say my servants. He doesn't say my slaves, my disciples, my subordinates, my little religious devotees, but he says my friends. And as I was speaking on this earlier, I know this can be a difficult topic for some people. Some of us may have great friends, and they are a gift from God, and they are a reflection of what Jonathan Edwards calls the intra-Trinitarian love of God. And that's a big, fancy theological word, but what this basically means is that God didn't need to create something outside of himself to experience love. From all eternity, prior to human existence, prior to creation, God was demonstrating love as the Father loved the Son and the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit loved the Son and the Father, and the Son loved the Holy Spirit and the Father. There was love already there. It was a part of his nature from the beginning. And and when we show love towards others, we are reflecting the beauty of his nature. We manifest in ourselves God's beauty when we show love towards other people, the love that was always there from the beginning. Now, some of us have been hurt by friends. Some of us have been betrayed. Some of us have been lied to. Some of us have been let down. Some of our friends have failed to meet our expectations. Some of our friends were not there for us when we needed them. I I think back to the biggest, kind of the biggest disappointment for me when it comes to friends is our wedding. We we had a lot of friends uh, that didn't end up coming to our our wedding. And and it wasn't like a crazy distance. It was just from Vegas to Reno and uh, different situations. And sure, I want to be like, okay, but that was kind of a big moment. Here we are 10 years later celebrating our, our 10 year anniversary here in a couple of weeks. And we can look back and a lot of our friends weren't there. And we were really hurt by that, that they didn't show up to the biggest day of our lives, you know, outside of our being baptized. Some of us have been physically harmed by friends, maybe emotionally harmed. We thought that they were our friend and they, and they, they burned us really bad. And, and what I would have to say is that Jesus is all too familiar with this feeling. In the moment where Jesus needed his friends the most, in his moment of greatest need, we see that one of his friends even betrayed him, turned him over to the Pharisees for a little bit of money. We see that all the rest of his friends pretty much abandoned him. And what a horrible thing to go through the different stages of the cross with absolutely no one at your side. When you look through everything that happened, Jesus is grabbed in the middle of the night. He's accused 
uh, falsely accused. He's mocked, he's spit on, he's beaten, he's flogged. He's ultimately taken to the cross, which some people would say is one of the worst forms of torture you can imagine. And even there, he's ridiculed again and even experienced, I, I believe, some degree of sexual shame. A lot of times we see depictions of Jesus with some kind of robe on, but in all honesty, the crucifixion, they usually laid them bare. And so he's, he's experiencing all these things completely abandoned by all his friends. And for those of us that have, have experienced hurt from friends, Jesus is with us in our pain. He empathizes with it because he has entered into that. But he didn't just enter into the pain, enter into the same situation, but he's also provided an even greater friendship. There is nothing that a good friendship that the man or woman in Christ will miss out on in this life. There is, there is no friendship that you might see out there that you could be jealous of, that you could be envious of, that you won't miss if you are in Christ. You have a greater friendship now that will be uh, manifested significantly more in the next life in glory with the Father that you will never miss out on in this earth. Whatever friendship you desire that you feel like you're missing out on, uh, there is a greater friendship in Christ to be experienced. You might have friends that know a lot about you, but they, they probably, if I had to guess, they don't know everything. They don't know the worst of you and they don't know what you will do in the future. And some of you may even be scared that if they really knew who you were, they really knew all the thoughts and, and, and things that go through your mind and all the bad that you've done, you may have this fear that they wouldn't want to be your friend, but not Jesus. He knew everything you do and every thought you'd think before entering into relationship with you. Before he chose you, he knew everything that you would do, everything that you have done. And this is incredibly important. You look at Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 10, 33, Jesus says, he says, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my father in heaven. That's a very serious warning. But the inverse of that passage is also true. And it's a great promise. Think about it. This would be the inverse of Matthew 10, 33, which is also true. Whoever embraces me before men, I will also embrace before my father. Think about that for a second. Seriously, think about the significance of this. Jesus, God, was there for every outburst of anger that you've ever had that demonstrated a complete lack of self-control. Whenever you, you burned internally out of jealousy or envy for something that somebody else had accomplished or obtained, and God was there when you Googled uh, uh, all those awful and disgusting things that would make you want to do nothing more than disappear forever were the world to know. God was there. And yet, if you embrace Jesus, he will embrace you before the Father in heaven. Standing before the Father in heaven, if you embrace Jesus in this life, you are covered by Christ, and Jesus looks at you as a friend. And before the Father, he says, Father, you see that guy? Man, I love that guy. God, I, I died for that guy. He's my friend. You know, he, he didn't deny me before anyone, and I, I'm going to go embrace that man right now, my friend. And Jesus runs to you, and he puts his arms around you right in front of the Father with all your shame with all your guilt and your sin, all the things that you're disgusted by, and Jesus throws his arms over you right in front of the Father, the God of the universe, who is holy, 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 and there's no shame on Jesus' part. And the Father looks, and he sees nothing in you but the perfection of his Son. And he looks at you and says, this is my beloved Son, whom I'm well pleased. And that, that is the gospel. That is the radical transformation we now have in Christ that his righteousness becomes our own, that the same love that God has for Jesus is now imparted to us through this act of Jesus having made us his friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. Amen? 
I was gonna. Be, I wanted Ian to play that song for us, but he had a busy week. If you've never heard that 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 hymn, I'd suggest you go look it up, especially the sing team's version of it. So continuing on with this verse, why why are they Jesus's friend? What what has made them Jesus's friend? What how how has this relationship been changed, and where now they're friends of Jesus? Well, in verse fifteen, after he says, "I've called you friends," it says for, and this is important conjunction connecting these two clauses. You could say because, for, because, why are they his friends? For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You know that these were Jesus's friends for, because he let them in on the best piece of information that anybody could give. Me me and Nicole both love a great burger. We love burgers and pizza too, but burgers specifically, both of us, we love. If you are a friend of mine and you know of a great burger place, you would not hold that out on me. You would let me in on that piece of information. If there was a great show out there with an, with an amazing and original plot and, and it was fascinating to you, it really drew you in, why would you keep that from me? You know I love good shows. You would come and you would share that information. Whatever good information, a good friend shares that stuff. You would share it with a friend so that they, they could go and engage in the same experience that you yourself have engaged in. Now, when it comes to information, a great burger place, a great show, some kind of experience you would like others to partake, partake in, there is no greater information that Jesus could have shared with his friends than the gospel. Look at how this verse ends. All that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You know that they're his friends because he, sh- he has shared now the mystery of the gospel. That has, of course, now been revealed to us in his resurrection and ascension. And Jesus has also revealed it to us. Over 2,000 years of church history, he has faithfully delivered the word of God through the hands of faithful men and women to our hands where we're now able to read and engage with this information that Jesus had delivered to us. For those who Jesus has revealed the gospel to, you are considered his friends. And now, what does a good friendship look like? Follow the logic of the argument. What does a good friendship look like? Well, it looks like letting people know, letting them hear that same information. What kind of friend would I be if I withheld the greatest piece of information that I could ever know? Penn Teller has an interesting perspective on this. I don't know, who, who actually knows who Penn Teller is? I don't know, he's kind of, okay, I think he's kind of retired now. But he used to be a magician in Vegas, Penn and, or I'm sorry, did I say Penn Teller? Penn Gillette. It was Penn and Teller was the show in Vegas. It was a magician slash comedy show. And it's very interesting, uh, Penn, Penn is a very outspoken atheist, but he speaks of this interaction he had with a Christian after a show that came up and kind of proselytized him. He, you can find this on YouTube. It's, you know, a little video where he recorded himself like a, a vlog and he's talking about this guy that came up and told him about the gospel and tried to hand him a Bible. And, and this was an atheist perspective on a Christian proselytizing to him. He says, how much do you have to hate someone to believe that the gospel, that, that this will bring you into eternal life? How much do you have to hate someone to believe this, to know this, and then keep it to yourself? E- even an a atheist as hostile to the gospel as Penn, he recognized that it's actually very rude to not come and proselytize to him as an atheist. And if if he knew you were a Christian, Penn, this is Penn's perspective, if he knew you were a Christian and you did not tell him the gospel, he would think that you didn't like him. Why? Because you're withholding the greatest piece of information you have. He's saying, well, why wouldn't you share that with me? And, And this is the obvious implication for us as believers. For those of us that are friends, I think it's a call for us to go and share the greatest news we could ever give them, to let them know that they could also enter into the same friendship we now have 
with Christ through the gospel. Whatever sin you've done, whatever shame you may be carrying, Christ is ready to throw his arms over you before the Father, regardless of whether you think you deserve it or not. Jesus is ready to throw his perfect righteousness over you so that you could be seen by the Father as that perfect son or daughter. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for not just kind of saving us to bring us into some kind of vague existence beyond this life, but you actually stepped into creation. You actually lived with us and experienced a lot of what we experienced so that you could relate to us on, on a, a, a deeper level. You're not some distant, far-off God who just kind of set the universe in motion and doesn't do anything with it, but you've, you've entered into a very intimate relationship with your creatures. And you're bringing us into an even greater relationship and glory with you. And, and you've reconciled us to yourself. Thank you for doing all these things. We praise you for all that you've done for us in Christ. Thank you for making us your friends, for revealing the knowledge of the gospel to us. And I pray for those of us that, that don't be, yet believe this, I pray that you would be a friend to them, that you would, you would reveal this gospel to them. And they would, they would be invited into friendship with God. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name.